Welcome to Freya's Fairy Tales, where we believe fairy tales are both stories we enjoyed as children and something that we can achieve ourselves. Each week, we will talk to authors about their favorite fairy tales when they were kids and their adventure to holding their very own fairy tale in their hands. At the end of each episode, we will finish off with a fairy tale or short story read as close to the original author's version as possible. I am your host, Freya Victoria. I'm an audiobook narrator that loves reading fairy tales, novels, and bringing stories to life through narration. I'm also fascinated by talking to authors and learning about their why and how for creating their stories. We have included all of the links for today's author and our show in the show notes. Be sure to check out our website and sign up for our newsletter for the latest on the podcast. Today is part one of two, where we are talking to Zachary Jeffries about his novels. Over the next two weeks, you will hear about writing in middle school, his mom encouraging his writing through journaling and creative writing, not to let age keep you from doing what you want, making writing friends online, building your team to help you make your book better, using movies for inspiration, using social media to monitor the book game, writing after everyone has gone to bed, and collecting advice to apply later. Angel of Fate This Grim Reaper just met his fate. High school sophomore Michaela Colfax was perfectly happy with her life, until she inherited a mysterious pair of scissors. They don't cut, but when holding them, Michaela begins seeing things like lines between people. Connections. With the scissors... She uncovers the ancient power of her lineage of Greek fates. If Grim Reaper in training Kane Morgan messes up one more soul harvest, he'll remain a disgusting human for the rest of his existence. But his new target has supernatural connections tying it to Earth. Now Kane's only hope is to find some force powerful enough to cut these ties. Can Michaela embrace her destiny fast enough to preserve the balance of life and death? Can Cain tolerate a human long enough to make Michaela into the fate he needs? And for the love of the gods, can the two of them work together for one minute without fighting? So the podcast is Freya's Fairy Tales, and that is fairy tales in two ways. All of us either watched movies of or listened to our parents telling us or read our own um, fairy tales or short stories when we were a kid. And then it's also the journey of spending weeks, months, years working on your own books to then get to hold it in your hands as a fairy tale for you as well. So I like to start off with, when you were a kid, what was your favorite fairy tale or short story, and did that favorite change as you got older? Um, I was definitely into the, the Greek mythology was mm. were, were my fairy tales uh growing up uh specifically my, my mom was a was an English or was an English teacher at the time okay. uh, and so it might have been a little more literary than some people <laughs> yeah we didn't, get the, we didn't get the Disney versions we got we got books out of a or we got stories out of a Greek mythology book and mm -hmm. I always loved uh the the story of Theseus and of the gods I always liked to hear about uh Hermes and uh the muses and Orpheus and all of that all of those fun things and uh I don't know I believe that those always stuck with me a mm -hmm. lot more uh, there were some Aesop's fables as mm -hmm. well that I really liked. Uh, 
probably when I was a little little younger with the with the animals as right. the, uh, as the main characters and and I was a little brother so the idea of a of a mouse saving a lion was just amazing to me <laughs> yeah. I, well, I, and I, as I you're do. a kid those are much shorter stories than like some of the Greek mythology ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I've, I've done a couple Aesop's fables on here and those are just very, it's usually like one or two paragraphs and that's the entire story. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So absolutely. When you're a kid, easy to hold your attention for those short stories there. Oh, absolutely. And you know, the anthropomorphism of, of animals is, is so fun and wild. And I think it just mm-hmm. makes sense that, yeah, that's, that's something greater for, for the younger kids. And then as you age up, you get, in my case, incredibly violent and sexual stories <laughs> of technology. All right. And so at what age did you start writing, even if it was just like, you know, short stories in school, what age did you start writing stories of your own? Uh, probably like middle school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did some... Uh, because my mom was an English teacher, like it was very important for her or she she instilled that it was very important to like journal and things like that. And creative mm-hmm. writing was a good way of uh, self-expression. So there there was a lot of that always going on. I remember in high school, what did I write? I wrote a, I wrote a play, but it was a play about a TV show. It was weird. And uh, <laughs> but I mean, I was... Uh, once I started writing, I was I was always writing. I've always written plays or m- movie treatments or something, something. And it was it took me a long time before I even started looking into uh, writing novels. Okay, and so I saw you have you have one book published now, and then your other one comes out on the fourteenth of February. Um, so how long did it take you, or do you have another book written under a different name? And how long, how long did it take you to write the first one? Yeah, I, I do have another pen name. I have, uh, Z Jeffries. I've been writing, uh, middle grade sci-fi. Okay. Uh, for a while that, that's, I rapid released a series back in 2020. Okay. Uh, and then these, uh, these books generally my my drafting process is like three months and then uh, another six months of of fudging with it but it took a long time to get it down mm-hmm. uh, to to that much but uh yeah I was I did not really start approaching writing a full novel until I was mid 30s okay. Uh, yeah, and before that, there was just uh, a lot of theater, a lot of short stories. I had in my head that novelists were were men in their mid fifties who had <laughs> already lived lives or something. Because that's the ones you see on the news and stuff. Yeah, like Stephen it, King yeah. and you know all all those are all well not old when they started, but older now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you have this. You have this in your mind that it's all retired journalists or these Hemingway stories of, yeah. <laughs> of people who've already lived. And that's just, that's just not true. And, and uh, I finally started doing it thanks to NaNoWriMo really helped me buckle down and see that it was a possibility for mm. myself. Well, then you have authors like Christopher Paolini who wrote in oh, high yeah. school, 
Like, yeah. I think middle school he started the first book. So, you know, the ones you see more on the news, but I remember seeing because him releasing those books was around the time I was in school. And so, like, um, you know, seeing him and like, oh, my gosh, it's so cool. He's like close to my age as he's releasing these and you know being made into terrible movies that definitely don't follow the books. <laughs> <laughs> but I own all the books and I've read them multiple times now. Yeah. I had a friend in, it might've been elementary school where he told me, he's like, I'm writing a, a, a series of fantasy books. And I was like, oh, that, that, I guess that's a fun way to spend your time. But I mean, you're not 50, <laughs> so it's not going anywhere. Like in my head, that was just like, I guess this is your new hobby for the scouts. And now you're going to write six not fantasy novels. So you said you rapid released in 2020. Did your writing that first series have anything to do with like the pandemic and downtime or that just so happened to be when you had them ready? No, that's when I had them ready. My, uh, what inspired me really got me to hunker down and, and write through all of those was, uh, the, the feeling of helplessness that I had around 2016 that I think some, uh, other Americans might have had. Okay. Uh, and so it really, it really was uh, trying to trying to gain control and make sense of what was going on in this country and and all of that kind of stuff. And and I think the way that I dealt with it, my my therapy was uh, to to have control in, in in a fantasy world, I guess. Okay. So kind of make up a. I don't. Fantasy goes one of two ways. It's either ideal world or it is incredibly messed up world. So yes. <laughs> which way did you go? Uh, well, well, in this case, I, I'm, I'm using the term fantasy loosely. Those, those were uh, sci-fi books. But, okay. uh, but it, was, it was fighting a future of uh, greed and, and corporate capitalism and all of these things that I was a afraid of so mm -hmm. it, it it was it was definitely optimistic in the idea of kids banding together and using technology to make a better world kind of thing okay and so you released those first books you had you said your mom was an english teacher um how did you like did you just release them did you have them edited by someone other than you did you have a really good self-editing process how did you kind of go from first draft done to publishing? Uh, well, I have a trunk book that no one will ever see, ever, ever, ever. <laughs> okay. And uh, <laughs> that's the first book that I ever uh, wrote. And uh, I learned a lot about editing, doing it. I learned a lot about drafting while I was drafting. And then I just edited it into nonsense until until the 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 bread dough was nothing uh and uh after that once i was doing NaNoWriMo i actually met uh, a pretty good uh peer group and all of us are are still online friends and help each other out and take a look at uh writing for each other and one person was an editor and one person was a cover designer another person became my critique partner and uh, 
Charlie Knight is the editor that I still use, and they are absolutely fantastic. And they edit absolutely every book and short story that I have sent out to anyone or published. Uh, and then on top of that, I just bugged a lot of people to read it for me, to beta, to beta read. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's so hard at first getting beta mm-hmm. readers. And I feel uh, as a new author, oftentimes I, I am not, I'm an underwriter. I will uh, write too little where everyone has blank faces and is in an empty white room. And mm-hmm. I will try to get people to read that before it's ready. And uh, so there was a lot of really asking people to read books that that weren't really uh, ready for readers. And then that, of course, leads to them saying, well, I'm definitely not going to read the next time he asked me to read something. This is not ready for anybody. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) So I had a lot of people who read the first couple of chapters and very politely didn't give me a ton of feedback. And I think that they were just being super nice to me at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I had as many people read it as I could. I had probably eight or 10 beta readers. I had my critique partner. I had my editor. Uh, I didn't, I should have hired a proofreader. I didn't do that. I, I probably couldn't afford it. I did get, uh, I prioritized uh, the editor, a sensitivity reader, mm-hmm. and uh, someone to work on the cup. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I feel like for me and like writing my own stuff, it's like you have to prioritize, one, what you can afford. Mm-hmm. Um, two, like I've talked to another author who she had her first editor didn't like her genre. And so like learning, you know, making sure that you find people that fit what you're doing um and that enjoy what you're doing um but then also like i've had i had a couple of alpha readers and i love them to death but like i'm the kind of person that and i had this issue in college i would write a paper in a i was taking like a medieval english class okay and Mm -hmm. so we're reading you know like chaucer and stuff like that and we would write a paper the professor would give us like this is the topic that you're going to write on write a paper and then you're going to like critique each other's stuff so you would switch with you know one person and they would say you know this is what's wrong with it fix it and then you'd switch it with another person the next time they never came back with anything wrong with my stuff so the professor ended up having to edit my stuff for me because the other <laughs> students are like we don't know what to do and i'm like this is not and so then like the first round the, I just submitted it to the professor after they didn't have any stuff. And she's like, well, here's all the stuff wrong with it. And I'm like, well, they didn't say that. <laughs> so, <laughs> Nobody told me. I'm like, no one I told me. So, so then it was like I would go through with the other people and then have her do it at the end before I officially submitted it. Um, but, like, that's what I feel like my alpha readers up to this point, they're like the, like, yes, man. Like, oh, my gosh, this is so good, mm-hmm. but no critique. And I'm like, I need... It's not perfect. I know it's not perfect. I just have to find like the the person that's going to critique it for me. Yeah. Not destroy it, but like, you know, here's what's wrong with it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I think I think once you gain a group of uh beta readers, I think it is important to have like the one cheerleader. Mm-hmm. The one person that can just be like, "Oh, this is fantastic. This is great." And then you can get out of them what they feel are the strongest points. Mm-hmm. Uh, and often those are not not writers. 
you know, those right. are not people who, who are editors or writers. And then when you do get all of your notes in from your beta readers, uh, or who, who might, who might be writers, who might be editors and, and, and might have different opinions on the approach and everything, you can be like, yeah, you said to change this thing, but I get such a good reaction out of my cheerleader. Yeah. And if you're just a lay person picking up this book that might really hit with you. My, one of my big, uh, theories or or approaches with editing is if anyone prescribes a solution I almost never listen to it with the exception of something that's problematic or something that I'm hiring a sensitivity reader uh, Mm -hmm. for or an expert if they are not a specific expert about that thing if they're just like oh I don't like that you know this is happening why don't you do this instead I almost never listen to why don't you do this instead. I mm-hmm. pretty much never listen to we could use a scene with these people. That's not really ever what I'm 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 going to do. I'm going to be like, "Oh, that's the problem point." I understand. Yeah. Right this now my big thing attention. the people I've shared mine with, my prologue is like two paragraphs long. It's a snippet mm-hmm. from like way later in the book, but it's a big like action, oh my gosh, what the heck happened to get there kind of scene. And I've had a mm-hmm. couple authors say like either expand on it or take it out. And I'm like, the point is most people don't read the prologue, so who cares? Yeah. And two, the point is to grip you. And I would probably use that as the blurb anyways. So like, nice. <laughs> it's, yeah. like it's just like a big gripping like stuff happens and then it you know she like blacks out and so it's like you know fade to black kind of thing and i'm like the the point is it's short most people don't read prologues anyways so i don't want it to be some like huge if you didn't read that you're screwed for the entire book Mm -hmm. (laughs) so um yeah i i agree with you on that because like the ones that have told me like oh you should totally change your prologue i'm like well no (laughs) i'm i'll tell you i'm a prologue skipper but if there were, yeah, like two, three paragraphs that just throw me into the middle of it and then mm-hmm. me right out of it, I would definitely read that. Well, and seeing that, because I mean, I know I've read books where the prologue is like ridiculously long. Yeah. Um, it's like my husband is also writing a book and his is his prologue is basically the like kind of call to action history of how we then get into chapter one. So like Mm -hmm. for him, and I told him when he started writing, like just know that some people won't read your prologue. So don't make it, you know, if people then complain like, well, I didn't know the history of it. You can be like, Hey, you should have read the prologue. (laughs) Like, (laughs) yeah. um, So his, his is more like military type and mine is more like sci-fi fantasy type. Um, His is still fantasy technically, but it's got more of a military feel than mine does. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, so it's then like, he has like history of battles and wars that, that uh, his is like, so we're both superhero, like adult superhero books, which doesn't happen often. Um, so mm-hmm. his, his is more, um, his thing is like the government's call to order to make this thing that his whole book is about. Um, okay. where mine, my prologue, like I said, it basically jumps you into like chapter 10 or something. You see a snippet of that. Um, big high action scene before you get into, you know, the rest of how did we get here in the rest of the book? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So what is, so you wrote the middle grade series, you rapid released that, and then you started writing this other series under a different name. 
Um, how long did it take you? What did you learn with that first series? And then how long did it take you to do the first in this new series? Um, well, the first in the new series, I kind of cheated. I took, <laughs> there's, you know, as a, as a writer, you're always asked, like, where do you get your ideas? and Where do you get your ideas? Uh, mm-hmm. And this, for my last book called The Unseen Curse, uh, it has the my favorite answer that I've ever been able to get to say about how do I get my ideas. And there's a movie called Copland. There's this okay. uh, 90s movie, and it's this ensemble cast, and it's about a small-town sheriff who under, uncovers this giant, giant conspiracy for a bunch of New York cops that live in this New Jersey town. And uh, all this cover-up and murder and all of this kind of stuff. And I, I really love the movie. I've watched it several times. And I just finished it once, and I thought, wouldn't that be cooler with wizards? <laughs> uh, from then, I... Uh, I attempted to write it once or twice years ago. Almost mm-hmm. all of my books I had attempted to write once or twice, often as like short stories or something that didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I had put in 20,000 words once or twice, attempting to do it probably with a uh, an earlier NaNoWriMo. And then, yeah, I, uh, uh, it took three or f- probably three months to draft. Uh, it is a murder mystery. So then I, it did take a little longer in rewrites because I did want to get uh, the murder mystery elements like correct. And, and cause I, I feel like that genre has a lot of specific rules for good reason. Mm-hmm. And we're lucky enough that like Agatha Christie, like literally has a rule book, right. has a list of rules. And so I wanted to go through those and, and make sure those were right and basically rewrite a lot into the book so that there was misdirection. So mm-hmm. they, there were red herrings and everything and they were all plausible. And So it's uh, not obvious at the beginning who did it at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Cop, Copland is not a mystery in that way. It's more of mm-hmm. a thriller in that way. So there isn't, there aren't extra suspects there aren't clues leading different ways and 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 all of that so I had to go back in and kind of sprinkle those in here and there and smooth it out and smooth it out and smooth it out uh so that was a much longer rewrite process than usual that was like six or eight months rewriting but yeah uh generally speaking now I'm about two or three months for a first draft for a rough draft Okay. And then during, what did you do to promote the first series versus what did you do to promote the first book in this new series? Like, what did you learn? <laughs> did you promote the first series at all? <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you, the the main thing that I learned is it is very difficult to promote middle grade mm-hmm. because you are not promoting to the people that consume the media. You are promoting right. to the people who buy for it. So it really right. is framing it in such a way that you know, it's almost like uh, vegetables. You have to talk about how good they are for, for for someone versus what you're actually getting on the plate and how it tastes. Right. Um, so that I definitely went into some difficulties there until this last year, once I started doing uh, in-person events, mm-hmm. this was my first year doing like library events and um, 
conventions and, and all art walks and all that kind of stuff, that's much easier because I have fun sci-fi adventures that, that kids mm-hmm. really get into once they right. get it. Selling it online was was really a slog. It was it was pretty tough, and and honestly led to some uh, some feelings of hopelessness as far as like career choices and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that probably was one of the things that kind of redirected me to to write something that is not necessarily aimed at adults, mm-hmm. but adults consume. Right. When I feel uh, like there are adults that read middle grade but more adults you're going to find reading YA and up as opposed to middle grade and up I would I would think I may be wrong Agreed. Um, no, I, no, I read middle grade but I also have an eight-year-old so <laughs> yeah I love middle grade I think it's mostly because I write it but like mm-hmm. every year in my the top books that I've read I always have a middle grade book let me just say The Lion of Mars I read it last year middle mm-hmm. grade book one of the best books I read all year, if not the best book. Absolutely love it. Highly mm. recommend The Lion of Mars by Jennifer L. Holm, I believe. Okay. Yeah, we, every year for Christmas, I always buy, I had seen years ago, like when my daughter was a baby, a thing about like every year for Christmas, you should get them something to wear, something that they want, and then something to read. Um, and so we've done that pretty much every year, age-appropriate books as she grew up. And so this year... Um, one of the series that I got her was the series of unfortunate events, which oh, yeah! is kind of in that. Um, we haven't started reading it yet, but that was this year's. I'm like, I had started watching the Netflix show, and I'm like, I bet she'd really like these books. So, <laughs> um, yeah, we that's did, great. We did that one, and then um, we just started reading the other one. It's like the School for Good and Evil, or the School of Good and Evil, or something like that. I don't know. The back of the box has like two girls, ones in black and ones in white, and I thought she'd like it. So. <laughs> Um, we've also done, we've kind of ventured into like Harry Potter and things like that. We started another series. Um, let me think of the name of it. The, I don't remember the name of it, but it's all about like this essentially reserve of all these mythical creatures and, um, really good, but there's like a witch house. And because I'm a narrator, I was doing creepy witch voices (laughs) and I scared her. So... (laughs) So we're like, all right, we're going to put that one on the back burner for a little while. <laughs> My kiddo's a bit younger, but I do I do often get told to stop doing voices uh, <laughs> as I am reading, especially if something is, is on the Scary. spooky side. Of yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I liked the voices, but when she's like covering her head with a blanket, you're like, maybe, maybe no. <laughs> no, I... Yeah, I was about to say I I love your voice. I love hearing the fairy tales at the end of uh, at the end of each podcast episode. Yes. But uh, I mean, yeah, I could imagine if if the reading material were actually scarier, you're kind yeah. of only making it <laughs> scarier than that. Yeah, yeah. So I do have to ask now that we're on voices. Um, I see you have uh, Kindle versions and paperbacks available. Are there any plans for audiobooks in the future for? I didn't know your about your other name, but I did for the two that are new. <laughs> uh, yes, I do eventually uh, have plans. It really is just a matter of reinvesting and 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 making the money in order to to put that back in there. Uh, I do understand that it is um, for a lot of people. Uh, it is an an, an access. Uh, uh, situation where they certain people with handicaps can't even uh get to these books until i get uh 
audiobooks. So it is a priority. It's just a matter of, of time and money. But mm-hmm. but we'll get there. We'll definitely be getting there. Okay. Yeah, that's I've seen um recently I just came across a video like two days ago of a lady that was like, you know that like you can get an audiobook made for nothing up front because you can do um which she it was not deceptive. She was totally honest. Like you can get an audiobook made for royalty share where there is no money coming out of your immediate pocket. It is all from your royalties. But she makes the point of like you wouldn't have an audiobook anyways. So like you're just talking about splitting your royalties. You're not out anything at that point. So um now there are some not very well done royalty share books and then there are some very well done. <laughs> so it all depends on how long you're willing to wait for the right narrator. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I got a, an, a message back on an audition yesterday and she was like, you know, you're just not the right fit for this book, but I loved your voice maybe later. I'm like, dude, I totally get it. You had a voice in your head while mm-hmm. you were writing that book and you want the narrator that fits that voice. That's not me. That's okay. Um, as long as you're not messaging me like, oh my God, you're the worst narrator I've ever heard. <laughs> 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 Which is just rude. I mean, people do, I mean, I, Let's see, including I have a daily fiction podcast where I do classic novels. Mm-hmm. Um, so including that, I think I did like 57 books last year, just oh, wow. narrating audiobooks, and most of those were royalty shares. So it it can be done. Um, it's just a matter of how many auditions do you want to listen to? <laughs> right. Yeah. No, we'll we'll get there. As of right now, I am uh going bit by bit and reading my books for literally two minutes at a time and those are posted on instagram and uh youtube shorts and mm-hmm. on my tiktok but no i do i do want to uh eventually hire somebody that that is the plan for the second half of the year that is the big project nice so you're going to release the book in february when are mm-hmm. you um how many books are going to be in this series like what's the plan right now I honestly don't know. I, I like to leave that leave that to in, in some way, shape, or form up to the readers. Um, I have two series starters, or I will have two series starters uh, under the name Zachary Jeffries. Unseen Curse could be a series of uh, magical murder mysteries. Um, and, and Angel of Fate is a love story between a Grim Reaper and a Greek fate. But there are other characters that could also have romances and then i would also love to do a couple of uh one of them is in peril and the other has to save them or one of them is under some sort of nefarious control and it it splits them up and then they get back together in the end kind of thing um so I, i i would love to keep uh playing in these sandboxes it really it really just depends on uh on their reaction i will say i don't Ever since I did the middle grade series, which is currently four books, and I'm going to put the fifth and final book out hopefully this year, I no longer have a concrete overarching story in my head. Mm-hmm. I, I want to to make a sandbox that I enjoy playing in enough that I could keep putting out books if I wanted. Mm-hmm. I would probably do like a planned trilogy, and then if the if the interest is there maybe uh layer another trilogy or or spin off with some other characters and do another trilogy there but i'm not i'm not thinking past um three books at a time i would say 
Okay. Yeah, I feel like Detective is a good space for those ongoing continual series, just because, same with, like, romance, Um, because you can always have new cases for the characters to, Mm -hmm. you know, research or, you know, solve or whatever. Um, Romances, it's typically you'll spin off onto, you know, a side character is now the main character kind of situation. Um, I feel like fantasies tend to be more the here's the set group of the novels. And then you may have um, like Shatter Me, which is a YA series. She has like, it'll be three novels and two novellas per cycle. And then she Mm -hmm. has a secondary cycle with the same three novels. It's actually three novellas, but the third novella is basically a full length novel. It's big. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. um, I feel like you can kind of go you know, multiple ways, but fantasy tends to be more like, here's a trilogy or here's a, I don't know what it's called when you have four of them, but four books or here's, you know, it's a duology. Like it's, it's more set, like here's our overarching story and now we're done. Yeah. No, no one wants to see everyone hang out after the ring is destroyed. No one's right. (laughs) Yeah. That's I finished a restaurant. Yeah. No one's, no one's listening to those. So last year I read Akatar, okay? Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, I'm reading it. I read the first book. I knew it was going to all come to a big battle. Like that was going to be the last book was going to be this big, big battle. I'm like, okay. And then in book three, the big battle happens. And I'm like, why is there a book four? What happens in book four? And at the time I was taking voice lessons to help with like vocal health and breath control while narrating. Mm-hmm. And she was like big into Akatar too. So I'm like, what is book four if the big battle already happened? Is there another big battle going to happen? And she's like, no, they're basically like cleaning up. I'm like, well, I don't want to read that. <laughs> so I have not read book four because, and then book five kind of starts from another character's perspective. But I'm like, who wants to read the, oh, we had to clean up the battlegrounds book? <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, like, man, it I was, might eventually. Exciting what just happened. Yeah, anyway, I'm like, <laughs> like, book three, it should have ended there. Like, I, and I haven't read book four, so I don't know. It may be amazing. I, that kind of turned me off because I'm like, I don't want to read a cleanup book. Um, there is something about uh, a book <laughs> series where you're like, well, I no longer have any more questions. This is not what yeah. the author intended to be the last book, but thank you very much, and I'm out. Well, and I feel like that's the same with, um, so, like, for example, we'll, we'll go old, old school. Wizard of Oz, okay? So he had, like, his original plan for Wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. and then it did well. So he wrote another book, and another book, and another book, <laughs> and another book, and then someone else started writing, continuing the story after he had died, And it's like, at some point, like, you can't be making that much money anymore. Like, at some point, you you have to have a plan, and then you have to stop. Because, like, Mm -hmm. regardless of if it's making money, at some point, people are like, God, now you're just dragging it on for no reason. (laughs) Unless in the case of, like, detective ones, where you can be an ongoing thing or whatever. But, yeah, it's just... I don't understand series that just keep doing that. I'm like, just stop. <laughs> no, agreed. That the, the same thing happened with uh, Herbert's Dune. Uh, he mm. had a story. He had he had one story, and he wrote it, and it's absolutely fantastic. And it did so well. They asked him when the next book was, and he panicked and put more books together, and then started these enormous, long, long. Uh, uh, plot lines that weren't completed until after his death and Mm -hmm. they just kind of meander and by the end you're like this has 
almost nothing to do with that first book that I mm-hmm. absolutely fell in love with. Or Ready Player One, who mm-hmm. then put out Ready... I, I haven't read I Own It. I have not read it yet. I have not read Ready Player Two yet. I read the first one. Um, my husband listened to the audiobook and was like, it was it, it was like he made money, he made a movie, and then he just wanted to keep dragging it on. Um, it's just... <laughs> Stop. Make your plan. Unless the plan was to, you know, eventually release more books in the series. But it's if you have a um, and Jason Duro on TikTok is like really big and like planning the overarching series. Um, So he will plan out. He has like the overarching like storyline that he's going to have over the entire series. And then he plans down to in this book, there's got to be this stuff happens in this book. This stuff has to happen. But then once you get to the end of the overarching, you stop. Mm-hmm. So you, you finish the big storyline, you finished. <laughs> so yeah. And you did it. Congratulations. Yeah, you, you finished it. Now you, whatever the next story idea was, you go with that. Or, you know, maybe you in the middle got bored and wanted to write another book in the middle there. You keep on with that storyline or whatever. But um, I've come to learn not many authors stay with one storyline and then move on to the next one. There's usually multiple mm-hmm. ones being written at the same time. <laughs> Zachary Jeffries liked Aesop's Fables growing up. Aesop's Fables, or the Aesopica, is a collection of fables credited to Aesop, a slave and storyteller who lived in ancient Greece between 620 and 564 BCE. Of diverse origins, the stories associated with his name have descended to modern times through a number of sources, and continue to be reinterpreted in different verbal registers and in popular as well as artistic media. The fables originally belonged to oral tradition, and were not collected for some three centuries after Aesop's death. By that time, a variety of other stories, jokes, and proverbs were being ascribed to him— although some of that material was from sources earlier than him, or came from beyond the Greek cultural sphere. The process of inclusion has continued until the present, with some of the fables unrecorded before the late Middle Ages and others arriving from outside Europe. The process is continuous and new stories are still being added to the Aesop corpus, even when they are demonstrably more recent work and sometimes from known authors. Manuscripts in Latin and Greek were important avenues of transmission, although poetical treatments in European vernaculars eventually formed another. On the arrival of printing, collections of Aesop's fables were among the earliest books in a variety of languages. Through the means of later collections and translations or adaptations of them, Aesop's reputation as a fabulist was transmitted throughout the world. Initially, the fables were addressed to adults and covered religious, social, and political themes. They were also put to use as ethical guides and from the Renaissance onwards were particularly used for the education of children. Their ethical dimension was reinforced in the adult world through depiction in sculpture, painting, and other illustrative means, as well as adaptation to drama and song. In addition, there have been reinterpretations of the meaning of fables and changes in emphasis over time. Today we'll be reading The Lion and the Mouse by Aesop. Don't forget, we're reading Les Mortes d'Arthur, the story of King Arthur and of his noble knights of the round table on our Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. The Lion and the Mouse A lion was awakened from sleep by a mouse running over his face. Rising up angrily, he caught him and was about to kill him. When the mouse piteously entreated, saying, 
If you would only spare my life, I would be sure to repay your kindness. The lion laughed and let him go. It happened shortly after this that the lion was caught by some hunters, who bound him by strong ropes to the ground. The mouse, recognizing his roar, came and gnawed the rope with his teeth and set him free, exclaiming, You ridiculed the idea of my ever being able to help you, not expecting to receive from me any repayment of your favor. Now you know that it is possible for even a mouse to confer benefits on a lion. Thank you for joining Freya's Fairy Tales. Be sure to come back next week for the conclusion of Zachary's journey to holding his own fairy tale in his hands and to hear another of his favorite fairy tales.